DR and I are at the Sampler in Bushwick, a great new craft bar that opened up recently. What are we here for, guys? My name is Joe Grimm, this is Lauren Grimm, and we are with Grimm Artisanal Ales, and we are just releasing our third batch of beer today. It's called Going Awry. It's a Rye Abbey Ale. And uh, we make a new beer every time, so this time we used a really special... Uh, rye malt that was grown in upstate New York and uh, malted at Valley Malt, which is uh, a really cool thing. It's like the East Coast's only micro maltery. This woman, Andrea, malted in her garage and she uses, you know, she establishes relationships with farmers and gets them to grow these heirloom grains and it's a really interesting and flavorful grain. So Grim Artisanal is a brewery, but you guys don't have an actual building. Yeah, we are um, nomadic brewers, so we travel around to different breweries to brew our beer using their equipment. We basically call up breweries on a regular basis and ask if they can fit us into their schedule and we can rent uh, their equipment for the day and then leave our beer on site to ferment in one of their fermenters for about a month. Yeah. We do most of our brewing at home. We brew several times a week and just try to work our, work out the recipe that we want to do. And we take some of the things that we think are the most creative or interesting recipes that we can come up with that aren't already out there and... Scale it up. Yeah, scale it up to a commercial batch and just kind of do a one-off yeah. limited edition batch, see how it goes. We order all the ingredients and just have them shipped to the brewery that we'll be making our beer at. Do you find it hard to make the transition when you scale it up in the recipes? Does it come out as you hoped it to be, or is it, oh my god, this is a totally different beer? I I wouldn't say that it's a totally different beer. It's actually, they're almost the same. One of the things is just learning how to um, operate within somebody else's brewery uh, with their equipment, which is different than the equipment, obviously, that we use at home having to make small changes in the recipe on the brew day. Maybe adding our rose hips at a different point in the brewing process than we did at home, or um, just slight differences. There'll be different efficiencies. You can't just multiply everything up. you got to like take into consideration the way that their um, mash tun is going to extract the sugars from the grains and all those sorts of things. Um, there's also different water, and that's a, a big thing. So we were, we're three batches deep right now, and at this one particular brewery in Massachusetts. Not that we're, like, married to them or anything. We're really interested in working anywhere we can. But we're just now starting to feel like we really understand how everything at that particular brewery works. And uh, the next few batches, I'm really excited to see what we can do. Yeah. What brought you to the point where you were homebrewing a lot, coming up with recipes, being satisfied with the kind of beers you were making, and then thinking, well, we should brew this on a 20 barrel scale or whatever a large a large scale and sell it what brought you to that point i think it was a it was a gradual process joe and i had been well we've been home brewing for about eight years now and um you know our friends and acquaintances were always really excited about our beer as 
usually if you have a friend who homebrews, then you're really excited. Or you pretend to be. <laughs> but um, yeah, eventually, well, so Joe and I both um, have art backgrounds, so uh, we had a lot of friends who were having gallery shows or uh, performances and we would set up a table wherever that was and either sell or give away our beer and we got really great feedback and people were really excited in fact we had a lot of people who would come to different gallery events seeking out our beer <laughs> um, so yeah a little bit uh, at a time we kind of started to hatch this idea of yeah. um making it on a larger scale and getting it out there. Even back then when we were just selling our homebrews illegally at our friends' shows, uh, <laughs> we had the same name. It was Grim Ales. Yeah. I guess we wanted to start a, a proper brewery in the city, and then we realized that the way that the real estate market is here, it was going to be almost impossible, and that if we did open up a brewery at the scale that we wanted to do, uh, we would be just swamped in making we have to do a certain sales volume and make a lot of money all the time, which would yeah. sort of really tie us into making like pale ales, IPAs, a Pilsner, and we wouldn't have the ability to do what we really are motivated to do, which is just to make things that we haven't seen before in the market. Or just or, like things that excite us, you know? Yeah. We want to make sort of eccentric yeah. styles of beer, and a lot of them are Belgian-based. And what we realized is that if we brewed them as nomad brewers we could just make whatever we wanted and not have to worry about that overhead all the time yeah so we're happy with the arrangement for now and maybe 10 years ago contracting your brews or brewing a, in a different brewery not having a brewery it's not the same as today where you've got people like mckellar and evil twin and pretty things and plenty of other people that are doing this and making great beers and getting a lot of props and respect yeah um, but at the same time uh one of the things that we're pretty devoted to is always being there when our beer is made. We go to oversee the process. We want to be able to pop in and check the pH of the mash and do all these things to make sure that we're hitting all the parameters we want to hit. We wouldn't really feel comfortable, at least right now, sending in a, an email of a recipe and then saying, this is our beer. Yeah, I mean, I think it is also just coming from... Uh, with different intentions i mean joe and i are making um so many different kinds of beer and evil twin and stillwater and michaelar do a similar thing you know they might not be doing all one-off batches like we're doing but they make a lot of different types of beer and so the idea is to use um this nomadic way of brewing to be more creative rather than using it as a way to hand off a single recipe and have some another brewery make it for you over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You're talking about uh, creativity, artistry, and uh, artisanal things. There's also a link uh, in there that, Joe, you were in an indie rock band. I've been playing music for years and years. I've been in a ton of bands. I was in uh, 33.3, The Wind-Up Bird. I was in uh, The Dirty Projectors, The 1AM Radio. Tons and tons of bands going on tour for a long time. And that's where you discovered Belgian beer styles, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually I was doing a tour with a friend who's a filmmaker, and we were doing a, a project. Ended up doing a show at the cinema in Brussels that was attached to an amazing beer bar. And we were there for two or three days, and the guys that worked there were just 
really into teaching us about Belgian beer. I I got to taste so many things that I never would have at the time had a chance to run into in the United States. And uh, it really opened my eyes to what beer could be like. Um, I think before then, Lauren and I were already in, into doing fermentations, but we were doing like a lot of kimchi and sauerkraut and mead and we were making kvass <laughs> and all these sort of weird things. But we weren't that interested in beer yet because we didn't understand the range what of flavors yeah. that we could find in a beer. Once we got into Belgian beer, that uh, it sort of took over all of our fermentation activities. That's a really interesting way to get started in homebrewing from a really weird angle. <laughs> and speaking of art, Lauren, you do all the label designs for the for the beers. Yeah. It's a, a kind of a, a collaborative effort between myself and my really good friend Greta Johnson. Um, she's an illustrator and makes these amazing kind of wacky drawings in uh, pen and ink. So, yeah, Greta kind of will we'll talk about names for beers and type of beer, and then uh, she'll send me sketches, <laughs> text message photos of sketches um, that she's done, and eventually we'll, um, she'll give me a fully-fledged drawing, and I'll make it into a label and do more of the graphic design elements of it. The artistry is definitely uh, part and parcel of what you guys are doing. It's funny because... BR and I, we used to be, we used to work in the indie music industry, and we find so many similarities and parallels between yeah. the indie beer business and the indie music scene, sure. and and what you guys are doing is, is almost like being a, an indie record label. Yeah, I, I kind of, sometimes I'm like, yeah, these could be record labels, yeah. drawings that we're doing, or, or show yeah, posters. Album well, actually, one of the ways, one of the analogies that we like for the way we want to run our business is... Um, that we're like a band, right? The brewery is a recording studio, and when we go into the brewery and work with them however we can, using their particular advantages and constraints to make a batch, which is like an album, right? And so our goal right now is to make something about every six weeks. It'll just be a single batch, and that's, that's like the statement. And uh, just kind of see where it leads. Yeah, it's a great concept. It's a, it's a really fun to think of a think of your brewery as a, a record label. What size batches do you brew? How many barrels? So our first four batches of beer that we've made so far um, have been in Western Massachusetts at a brewery called Paper City. They have a twenty barrel system, but the, you know that of course will change probably if we move around to other breweries. We've been talking to some other spaces in Connecticut that are 30 barrels or 40 barrels so it's all taking that into consideration we'd be excited to make a larger batch and also be excited to make a smaller batch just if we can establish a relationship with the people who own those breweries and they want to work with us and do something fun Mm -hmm. are you guys bottling as well as kegging we are. So, well, first, we only bottle a small portion of our um, for, of each batch. But one of the great things about doing that is getting to work on more of the aesthetics, the visual aesthetics of um, what we're doing and working on those bottle labels. Um, I think it really adds to the character of everything that we're doing. Yeah, we don't have that many bottles of each batch, though. It tends to be out about 70% draft. We're doing only 22-ounce bottles. We wanted a larger format that was something that people could share. 
we don't like the idea of someone going to the corner store and grabbing like a six pack and then going home and guzzling it in front of the TV. <laughs> like we want to be the kind of beer that you pick up and bring to a dinner party and share with your friends. Yeah. Or you're at a restaurant and you get a bottle of beer for the table. Tell us about your most recent creation. Going awry is our rye abiel, as Joe is saying. We used a kind of rye called Danko, and it's a Polish type of rye uh, that's very plump and flavorful, and I think adds um, a lot of wonderful character to our beer. It's spicy and um, kind of has flavors of apple skin. We added Belgian candy syrup as well, um, which has wonderful caramel flavors. Just a touch of it. Yeah. Yeah. The beer overall is like sort of an orangey, amber, um, 8% alcohol, and it's super, super dry. Yeah, and it's delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. It's time to go drink some of that delicious beer. <laughs> Joe, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and be on the podcast. Thanks thank so you. much.